the History Channel original podcast. North Corbin, Kentucky, the Great Depression. Harlan Sanders is desperate to keep the Shell gas station he manages afloat. He's been selling food as well as gas to hungry travelers. Now he paints a large sign pointing customers to his station and posts it at a nearby highway. And there was one other gas station owner in town. They were fierce competitors. They didn't like each other. The rival owner, a neighbor named Matt Stewart, paints over Sanders' billboard. And Sanders is furious. He then comes back in and he puts the sign back up. His neighbor then comes in and paints over the sign. Sanders and a representative from Shell confront the neighbor with guns. The neighbor opens fire and kills the Shell representative. Sanders shoots his rival in the shoulder. The competitor is now uh, taken to jail. And later convicted of murder. The outcome of all this is Harlan Sanders became the only gas station operator in town. He succeeded through, well, violence and gunfire. I'm Sean Braswell. On this episode of The Food That Built America, a podcast from the History Channel and Ozzy, the story of Harlan Sanders. He transformed that gas station into a restaurant that sold fried chicken, and he transformed himself into a Kentucky colonel. Today, you can buy Kentucky Fried Chicken, now known as KFC, all over the world at more than 24,000 locations. And the Colonel's finger licking good brand is worth over $8 billion. But the biggest and unlikeliest transformation of all was the rebirth of a tough, violent man into a beloved American icon. Here's something that may surprise you. Harlan Sanders was not from Kentucky. He was born in Henryville, Indiana in 1880, but he did know his way around the kitchen. So Colonel Sanders really had been cooking his whole life. Zolotti Meyer is a culinary historian and reporter at Fast Company. His father died when he was young, his mother had to go to work, and it was his responsibility to cook at home. Michael Side is a global franchise consultant. He started to cook for his younger brother and sister, if you think about it, at the age of six. He's left home alone to cook and to forage and do all that. He took that lifelong ability to cook and ultimately made his mark. Young Harlan's mother remarried, but his new stepfather was abusive. Harlan Sanders moves away at the age of 10 to go farming. He dropped out of school in the seventh grade and began what would be decades of odd jobs. He painted carriages. He was a streetcar conductor. Then... He goes to work on the railroad. He moves up on the railroad. He gets fired for insubordination. He gets fired in another job for getting into a fight. Sanders moved job to job. He operated a steamboat ferry. He sold tires. He even delivered babies. In his spare time, he studied to be a lawyer, but his temper never improved. He goes to school at night with... um, I forget the name of the correspondence school. And here's a guy with a seventh grade education, and now he's a lawyer. He gets fired from being a lawyer for getting into a fight with a colleague. He leaves that because he has a fist fight with his client in the courtroom. Sanders was six foot one. He was a large, imposing man with an imposing personality to match. You know, this whole picture of the colonel being this happy-go-lucky pleasant man. He never was. This was a hard, scrapple guy. He was the type of guy that would 
comment on other people's wives' figures in a very loud voice in places that were totally inappropriate. David Hogan is a history professor at Heidelberg University and the author of Selling Him by the Sack. He had a very, very low attention span, a very poor attention span when it came to employment. He had a plethora of different, of different careers along the way. Sanders failed at almost everything he tried. In 1930, he was 40 years old, married with three children. The country was caught in the Great Depression, and Sanders got one last chance if he would move his young family to North Corbin, Kentucky. He was offered the opportunity to run a Shell oil service station. He would pay Shell a percentage of his sales and his family could move into the back of the gas station. The challenge for Sanders would not just be to run the gas station, but to keep his temper under control this time. This was a guy that talked a lot with his fists. He ended arguments by screaming. He would curse at people. He didn't know, yet, that the gas station had the potential to provide him with an even bigger opportunity. Not only selling travelers gas, but feeding them as well. But if Harlan Sanders couldn't keep his temper in check, he would lose his business, and his family would lose their home. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In the 1920s, Americans fell in love with the automobile. And as car culture takes off, there's a desire uh, on the part of people to go out and to explore that world. They're encouraged to do so. But when the Depression hit, not many Americans were interested in leisure travel. Then President Roosevelt got his massive stimulus program through Congress. Millions of people were working again, constructing schools and hospitals, planting trees and building roads. They not only had money to buy cars and gas, they soon had a network of highways to drive on. Yahuru Williams is a historian at the University of St. Thomas. And that's really facilitated again by those New Deal uh, transformations that take place, that investment in infrastructure, the federal highway system that makes it possible for somebody to travel from New England to the Deep South um, in a relatively quick amount of time. The automobile does for the individual what the railroad had done for the corporation. It provides an opportunity for people to actually travel the nation um, and do so in a way that's affordable, that's accessible, that's comfortable. And it opens up new markets and new opportunities. Car culture is also gonna give birth to the desire and demand for convenience food and fast food. As people are on the go in the morning and on their way to work, there had always been fast food in American culture. There had always been places you could go to grab a quick bite off the street. There had always been people selling things on the corner. Jeffrey Ingle is a history professor at Southern Methodist University. What really changed with the automobile was the idea that you would take that food far away, 
the idea that you would still get your food quickly, but it would be packaged and made and manufactured in a way that you would eat it miles and miles and miles away from where you actually had purchased it. So fast food or quick service restaurants, whatever you want to call them, starts to bubble up in this 30s and 40s and 50s period. Michael sighed. Because of the road conditions and the way people traveled back then, cars are coming in, they're tired, they're buying gasoline, and they're hungry, and there's no place to eat. And this gave Harlan Sanders another opportunity. The man who'd been cooking since childhood realized he could sell weary travelers not only gas, but meals. So he starts to cook dinners for people, and they eat in his home, which is attached to the gas station. And finally, after so many years and so many jobs, Harlan Sanders had a success, David Hogan. Essentially, he had a prosperous gas station, but uh, he realized that he was, he was on a main route. And he realized that a lot of the travelers coming to his gas station were also hungry. So just logically said, okay, I'll start providing meals. Meals, but no alcohol. Prohibition was the law of the land. Harlan Sanders actually got into the gas station business and into the restaurant business during the height of Prohibition. And of course, Prohibition in Kentucky was a very volatile time. You had um, the Kentucky whiskey industry did not go away, it just went underground. You had many bootleggers. It was, it was a violent place, it was a violent era. Sanders Station was in a rough neighborhood known as Hell's Half Acre. Sanders once claimed, quote, you could count on a murder every Saturday night. Times were hard and competition was fierce, but so was Harlan Sanders. He finds himself um, kind of middle-aged and he's running a gas station. Bryant Simon is a history professor at Temple University and author of Everything But The Coffee. He begins to cook as part of his gas station, and one of the things he cooks is fried chicken. And that fried chicken sort of takes off. People begin to make his gas station a destination to get his fried chicken. At first, Sanders served customers from his family's living quarters, which were attached to the gas station. He made chicken the way his mother had when he was a boy, fried in lard in an iron skillet. But that wasn't so easy. John Hine is the author of Fast Food Maniac. Now, the way you had to fry a chicken beforehand was extremely involved. You had the, the huge pot, you had to put it in there, you had to season it, you had to boil it, you had to then fry it, and then it had to cool off, and it was a very complicated process. Sanders experimented with ways to improve his fried chicken. He tried different herbs and spices. He switched from lard to vegetable oil. Soon he was able to expand his business into a full-service restaurant and motel. He called it Sanders Court and Cafe. It looked welcoming, a long white building with red awnings in the front. The menu featured a variety of chicken dishes as well as country ham and steaks. Sanders kept innovating. He created his own seasoned flour for the fried chicken, a signature recipe that would come to include his famous secret combination of 11 herbs and spices. His tasty fried chicken was getting people's attention, including some very important people. One thing that did happen to him is that because he had created this really good tasting chicken. The governor in 1935, I think it was, made him a Kentucky colonel. He was not a colonel in the army. Uh, this is an honorary position, so he's now a Kentucky colonel. And Colonel Sanders was faced with a new challenge. He could not produce enough of his popular chicken to meet demand. 
he had to figure out how to prepare the fried chicken faster. And it takes 30, 40 minutes to cook chicken, but you got road travelers. And the road travelers didn't have 30, 40 minutes, so he started to experiment with ways to get consistency and speed at the same time. Sanders tried a new technology from France, the pressure cooker. It produces steam, which transfers heat very efficiently into food. And he's reduced the time to nine minutes, and he can cook a lot of it very quickly. And with the pressure and with the heat of the vegetable oil together, the outcome is, is very uniform and it is very quick. Uh, it cuts down the time, cooking time immeasurably and usually makes for a very good product. Using the pressure cooker, Sanders was not only able to cook his fried chicken faster, he could produce more of it. And a growing number of passers-by came to enjoy it. Sanders Corden Cafe had a prime location at the junction of two highways. As the American economy expanded after World War II, people had money to spend and wanted to travel. The Smoky Mountains became a popular tourist destination, and Sanders Court was right on the way. In the early 50s, Sanders attended a restaurant convention in Chicago and made a connection who would change his life. He meets a guy in Chicago by the name of Pete Harmon. Pete is a well-to-do restaurateur in somewhere near Salt Lake City. Harmon had worked in restaurants for decades and owned one in Salt Lake City named the Dewdrop Inn. Sanders and Harmon hit it off in Chicago and became friends. Sanders later visited Harmon and his restaurant in Utah and decided to give his host a treat. And the next thing is Sanders is now cooking his chicken for Pete Harmon at his restaurant. Harmon was immediately hooked on the Colonel's fried chicken. Pete Harmon takes on just as a menu item on his menu. And just like in Kentucky, customers couldn't get enough. Pete Harmon now is looking at, you know, how do I maximize this incredible product I have? And he comes up with the name Kentucky Fried Chicken. The next time Sanders visited Harmon in Salt Lake, Harmon showed him something he had painted in seven-foot-high letters on the front of his restaurant window. It read, something new, something different, Kentucky Fried Chicken. In the kitchen, Harmon had eight pressure cookers going and was selling his fried chicken like crazy. And sales start to increase because of the chicken. And some of the reports was that the sales increased 75% over a very short period of time. People loved the chicken. Sanders agreed to allow Harmon to sell his chicken in Utah. In 1952, Harmon became his first franchisee, John Hine. He opens his first franchise in Utah. Yes, Utah. That is where the franchising of Kentucky Fried Chicken started. And just in time, because that same year, back in Kentucky, a new interstate highway was built just seven miles from Sanders Court and Cafe. Business dried up almost overnight. For years, two highways brought hungry customers directly to Sanders' front door. Now, everyone was taking the new, bigger highway, which was nowhere near his restaurant. The change threatened to bankrupt Sanders' court and cafe. After a few years of struggling to stay afloat, Sanders sold the restaurant he had spent decades building. He was 66 years old, but he was far from done working or innovating. As he later said in his autobiography, for me, it wasn't a matter of giving up. It was just a problem of what to do next. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The new highway put Colonel Sanders out of business in Kentucky, but his fried chicken was still very popular in Pete Harmon's Salt Lake City restaurant, so popular that Sanders decided to expand his franchise. There's a system that the franchise all puts together, and that system is then licensed to a third party, a franchisee. In exchange, they uh, charge a fee, an initial fee, a franchise fee. They want to make certain that the chicken and the gravy and the mashed potatoes all taste the same. That's what a franchise system does. David Hogan. Franchising is one of the greatest commercial innovations ever. Franchising is spreading your business and your brand with somebody else's money. You don't have to put forth any capital of your own. You just sell a concept and a name to someone else. In the next few years, Sanders lined up four or five more franchises. And slowly but surely, he starts to now grow the franchise, but only as a product in other people's restaurants. So there was no outdoor you know, notice that this was a Kentucky Fried Chicken. In his mid-60s, Sanders started to travel across the country, looking for suitable restaurants to become franchises. Often he slept in his car. And the deal was he'd walk into the restaurant and he'd say to the owner, let me cook for you and your staff some chicken. And if you like it, let me cook for you and your customers some chicken for a couple of days. And he starts to sell franchises by cooking at restaurants one after another after another. And if people like it, he'll say, look, I'll, I'll teach you how to do this pressure frying or pressure cooking, and I will sell you, but I won't tell you my secret recipe of 11 spices. The restaurant owners said, okay, we'll, we'll take your product and they would essentially become early franchisees. But good food and a secret recipe were not enough to really take off. Harlan Sanders and Pete Harmon needed a compelling brand that was as good as the Colonel's chicken. What they didn't know was that along the way, they would create something bigger than that. Colonel Sanders himself would become an American icon. At that period of time, you start to get the persona of this Kentucky Colonel. In the early 1950s, as part of his sales efforts, Harlan Sanders started to cultivate a very specific look. He grew a goatee, wore a white suit, black string tie, and black frock coat. He wanted to market himself as a Southern gentleman and a Kentucky colonel. It didn't hurt that the white suit also helped hide all of the flower stains. Sanders hardly wore anything else in public during the last 20 years of his life. 
Colonel Sanders is a uh, is half reality, half myth. And of course, the myth was, was self-promoted. As Harlan Sanders spread the gospel of fried chicken across the country, Pete Harmon continued to innovate how to sell it. He pioneered the takeout bucket. He sold it as a way for women to escape the kitchen and still prepare a great dinner. On each bucket, he printed a drawing of the colonel, John Hine. His face was on every bucket, on every sign you saw. And that chicken, it tasted so good. And so you identified, oh, Southern fried chicken with Colonel Sanders, finger licking good. I mean, you remember the slogan. That famous slogan originally came from Harmon's brother, Dave, who ran a Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise in Phoenix, Arizona. When someone complained that he was licking his fingers while eating the fried chicken, he said out loud, well, it's finger licking good. KFC used Harmon's finger licking good as a slogan until 2020, when it was pulled during the coronavirus pandemic. Thanks to Pete Harmon's marketing and innovations and the Colonel's relentless travels, Kentucky Fried Chicken spread and spread. By 1963, 600 Kentucky Fried Chicken locations had opened. It was the largest fast food operation in the United States. And this is real comfort food, and that's where the growth starts to come from the fact that this is one of the first luxuries that a mother is getting by being able to bring in a meal. Kentucky Fried Chicken and its colonel arrived at the perfect time. Americans were starting to put a premium on speed and uniformity. The biggest thing that is happening with fast food in these periods is it's giving us flexibility. We're taking, you know, instead of making sandwiches and cooking chicken at home, and going on picnics and road trips and things like that, we can stop off on the way and pick up a bucket of chicken. But while American food preparation was speeding up, Harlan Sanders was finally starting to slow down. By 1964, Sanders was in his mid-70s. An outside investor approached him with an offer to buy Kentucky Fried Chicken. At first, Sanders said no. And the reason he didn't want to sell it was Throughout his entire period with uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, either as the founder or as the spokesman, he was passionate about his recipes. He didn't want anybody screwing around with his recipes. But eventually, he did sell most of the chain for $2 million. It would be over $15 million today. David Hogan. Never had to work a day in his life after that, but he kept working for Kentucky Fried Chicken constantly. As part of the deal, Sanders agreed to remain a spokesperson for the company for the rest of his life with a lifetime salary. The chain quickly expanded around the globe. Almost immediately, they went up into Canada. Almost immediately, they started into Central and South America. They were the first fast food franchise in the People's Republic of China. They immediately spread throughout Asia and they had an advantage. The world was not a beef-consuming planet, but everywhere on the planet, people consumed chicken. Chicken was, chicken was ubiquitous. Chicken was everywhere. By 1970, there were more than 3,000 Kentucky Fried Chicken outlets in 48 different countries. Colonel Sanders was still the face of the franchise. And uh, that backfired on them, because as he would tour around from restaurant to restaurant, he would never be satisfied. He would, he would test the product. He would, uh, when they came out with uh, the, the crispy chicken, 
Uh, he would test that product. He would, uh, he would publicly criticize it. He is a total pain to Kentucky Fried Chicken at that point because he was screaming and hollering about the quality of the gravy, which he now called uh, uh, wallpaper paste. Sanders got so frustrated that he and his wife Claudia opened a rival restaurant back in Kentucky. They called it the Colonel's Lady, and it served Sanders' original recipe, Kentucky Fried Chicken. He actually was a little bit irascible, you might say. Zalati Meyer. He had a reputation for, for being wanting things a certain way. He had his standards. He was a man who didn't always have a, have a lot of luck. So when he hit upon this recipe that ultimately made him his fortune, you can be damn sure he wanted it done his way. Sanders also didn't like the company using his name and image to promote new products, like pastries. The colonel actually sues down the road uh, the company because he didn't want his image uh, being associated with products he hadn't invented. The lawsuit eventually settled. Sanders got $1 million in exchange for a promise to stop criticizing Kentucky Fried Chicken's food. His rival restaurant was allowed to remain open, but it was renamed Claudia Sanders Dinner House. It's still in operation in Shelbyville, Kentucky today. The relationship between Sanders and the company remained tense after the lawsuit, but the colonel continued to promote the brand. He appeared on talk shows and in television commercials. He crisscrossed the country visiting Kentucky Fried Chicken locations in full costume. But his last 20 years of life, he was never seen you know, outside of that, that silly white suit. And other people wore it in his honor when they were with him. It was a triumph for someone who had struggled for most of his life. Harlan Sanders was very much of a late bloomer. This is a guy who starts a chain when most people have retired or even died back then. This is a man of 60 some odd years old who gets on the road and is selling one by one chicken shops. This is an amazing you know, story of somebody coming from no place and constantly seizing on ideas. Prior to this, the fast food industry was just hamburgers. So Harlan Sanders basically broke down a wall. He said, let's have fried chicken. And he opened the door for so many, so much variety in fast food. The fast food that we know today is you drive down the local commercial strip. And Kentucky Fried Chicken, later rebranded KFC, played a key role in the growth of restaurant franchising in America. It is a huge portion of our economy. It's bigger than construction. It's bigger than manufacturing. Today, there are about 800,000 KFC franchise locations employing 8 million people across the U.S. Roadside fast food like KFC did more than just change the nature and speed of food preparation. It changed the way we eat. Fast food is the hallmark of modern America. Yahuru Williams. And when you think about modern America and the frenetic pace that we associate with modern life and modernity, fast food is one of those things that helps to fuel that. It gives people the ability to do so many things that we associate with the modern world. So to live in a world where transportation and communication move very rapidly, uh, where the rate of change is very quick and accelerated, the ability to fuel one's body in a quick uh, manner becomes very important. And fast food has been the engine for that. Chef and restaurateur Marcus Samuelson, author of The Rise. The whole idea about being fast food is that you have an ordering system that is the most efficient, whatever the food has come from, it doesn't matter, and that is the same absolutely all the time. Harlan Sanders' remarkable run came to an end in 1980 when he died of pneumonia. He was 90 years old. 
His body lay in state in the Kentucky Capitol building, and he was buried in his signature white suit and black tie. Adam Richman is a television host and the author of Straight Up Tasty. My friend and mentor, uh, Anthony Bourdain, famously used to love their mashed potatoes. And he used to say, like, he wanted to wear a disguise because he, 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 he just loved KFC mashed potatoes and he would, like, sneak in and, and get them. The 11 secret herbs and spices is still a closely guarded secret, said to be held in a bank vault. There has been all sorts of efforts to break them down in labs, and generally speaking, I, most people believe that they know what the 11 um, herbs and spices are, but the company has never confirmed it. That's part of the company mystique. The fact that you know they have this secret recipe you know, makes it a little more desirable. It's not something you can replicate at home. You have to go to KFC. Thanks for tuning in to this season of the Food That Built America podcast. Please be sure to rate us and leave us a review on iTunes. Remember, you can catch all new episodes of the Food That Built America television series Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, only on the History Channel. This episode of the Food That Built America podcast was written and produced by Sean Braswell and Cecily Meza Martinez and edited and produced by Maeve McGoran. Jesse Katz, Jim Pascarella, and Mary Donahue were executive producers. Sound designed by Chris Hoff. Special thanks to McKamey Lynn and Tracy Moran. The Food That Built America was originally produced by Lucky 8 TV for the History Channel. Please make sure to subscribe to The Food That Built America on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more great history podcasts, check out History This Week from History or Flashback from Ozzy. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.